Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. From the Boston Globe, this is Rhode Island Report. I'm Ed Fitzpatrick. Welcome back to the podcast where we bring you big conversations from our very small state. Today, I'm talking to Providence Mayor Jorge Elorza. He just shook up the field of candidates running for governor when he decided to stay out of the race. Why did Elorza say no? What's next for him? And what will he do with his remaining time in office? My conversation with Mayor Elorza after a quick break. Jorge Elorza has been mayor of Providence since 2015. He was weighing a run for governor, but recently decided to stay out of the race. He's here to talk about that decision and more. Mayor Lorza, thank you for joining us today. It's great to be here, Ed. Let's get to that question. You have over a million dollars in your campaign account. You're well known in Rhode Island. So why did you decide to stay out of the governor's race? It's a couple of reasons. You know, I've been, I've been looking at this for the past year and change or so. And uh, uh, it really, um, two things weighed most heavily. The first is that as the campaign started to to gear up and you know is demanding more and more of my time, I was seeing the ways that it really keeps you from devoting yourself 100% to your current job, and it 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 got to the point where I realized that there is just no way humanly possible that you can do my current job as mayor of Providence 100% while also giving 100% to the governor's race. That's one. And then the second thing is, is, is very much related to that. You know, I have responsibilities to the city and my job, but I also have responsibilities to my family, especially with a three-year-old boy. And, and again, I started seeing the ways that if I'm really committed to this statewide governor's uh, race and, and going, going all through the election, you know, those Friday evenings, those Saturdays, those Sundays, they really cut into time that at this point in my life, are, are better spent with my little boy. So those, those are the, the, the two things. And it just doesn't make sense for me right now. But who knows, maybe at some point in the future, they will. And, um, and we'll see. We'll cross that bridge when we get there. But just to be devil's advocate, I mean, politicians often cite family concerns when they step down or don't run for office. Was it that? Or did the polling show that you didn't have enough support to win? Were, were the negatives too high? So we did some uh, we did some polling. It's mostly like issue polling to get a sense of, and attribute polling to get a sense of the kind of attributes that people are looking for and how they how they relate those to you. And uh, from that, we you know it, it's very clear that there there's a path. You know, as I think about this race, if um, if I were to run and if I were to be in it one hundred percent, I truly believe that I could win this race. But Sometimes you got to be careful what you wish for. Um, and, uh, you know, perhaps even if I was successful, it comes at, it comes at a cost. And it uh, would have come at a cost that for me at this point in my life uh, just would not have been worth it. Yeah, you, you seem almost relieved to have that decision that weighed off your shoulders. No more call time <laughs> will relieve any politician for sure. And, I, and I'll tell you, Ed, it's been so nice. You know, I, I've, 
You know, I went to Block Island with my family uh, on a Saturday. We spent the whole day. Those are things that you just can't do if you're campaigning full time. The last mayor to become governor was Dennis Roberts in 1950. Other mayors have tried to become governor and failed. Why is it so hard to make the jump from City Hall to the State House? Yeah, it, it, it's, it's not a launching pad, right? It's not a launching pad for the governor's office. I think the number one reason is because you have to make decisions. Take, for example, you know, we're here in the, in the Wexford building. Right across the street is the site for the Fane Tower. Now, I think this Fane Tower is a mistake. It's just a mistake in so, in so many different ways. I haven't, you know, I did my due diligence. No one credible uh, that I know of that, that understands the project, you know, um, has said that, yeah, the numbers pencil out. It makes sense. And, uh, you know, design-wise, it's something that doesn't fit into our city. So I did my due diligence, as, as I should, and I came out against it. Um, that might be the right decision for the city. Let's say maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but um, it might be the right decision for the city. That doesn't mean that I didn't piss off like really powerful special interests in the state. Um, some folks that will never forgive me for making that decision. And that's, that's only one decision. That's like a Wednesday afternoon decision. <laughs> As mayor, you're making these decisions every single day. And you know, just the nature of things, um, you know, you may make some decisions that they love and, you know, they love you for them, you know, for, for a minute. Um, but those decisions where they don't like what you did, they linger, they last. And, and I think at the heart of it, that's what has made it so difficult for mayors to make that leap. So who do you like among the current crop of candidates? There's announcements every day, it seems now. Uh, who, who do you like among the candidates for governor? I'm assuming it's uh, Governor McKee, right? <laughs> You know, Governor McKee is a—he's—he's a, he's a nice guy. He's a decent dude who means well. But you know, I, I definitely have my my issues with him as a leader. I do not think that he is the leader that our state needs, um, and I don't think that he's going to be the um, the elected governor. You know, we'll see what the field looks like. Uh, when the time is right, I will want to weigh in. Um, not only in terms of candidates, but in terms of issues, the kinds of things that I believe that our state needs and that, um, and that I'm going to use my, my position as mayor to, to bring more attention to. So we'll cross that bridge when we get there in terms of candidates. But you know, I really do look forward to nonetheless um, uh, lending my voice and uh, speaking on the issues that I believe the next governor will have to tackle. Yeah, without picking a candidate, what is the main issue you want the next governor to address? A couple of things on my mind. You know, for me, it's always been about education. Do you know that 70% of the kids in Rhode Island are not meeting expectations in mathematics? So oftentimes throughout the state, you know, we think um, so long as our kids don't go to school in you know, Providence, Pawtucket, Central Falls, or Woonsocket, that, you know, we're, that, you know, that we're better off. And you are better off because in, in those districts, 9 out of 10 kids aren't meeting uh, expectations in math. But still, if, if your kids are 7 out of 10 are not meeting expectations— that's just, a, that's just not bad. It's horrible. It's awful. And so, you know, as, as a state, we really have to take education reform seriously. And uh, that's, that's something that I want to see, uh, you know, what each of the can, how each of the candidates are going to tackle, tackle it. And look, I've been, I've been in the arena for the past seven years. You know, the, the same old platitudes and the talking points about how we need to invest in education, that's just not going to get it done. We need some real solutions. And look, if it, if it means making the teachers' union upset and unhappy, 
because we're going to chip into seniority, because we're going to chip into tenure, because we're going to do some things that they don't like, but frankly are in the best interest of kids and families, then that's what we need to talk. That's what we need to talk about. And that's what we need to do. You're finishing up your second term in office, which means you can't run for mayor again. What do you plan to do next? I really don't know. You know, I've been so focused on the governor's race. Um, I, I haven't spent much time thinking about what, what's next. I'll figure it out. Um, I'm going to be all right. Um, I, you know, I, I, I think I have some transferable skills. Maybe I'll check the Help Wanted ad, see if any cities need mayors. Are you going to run for office again, though? Uh, well, not in 2022, for sure. I'm not going to be on the ballot. But we'll see what the future holds. I'm not ruling anything out. I love the policymaking part of it. I love the campaigning part of it. You like the fundraising? You know something? I mean, it's a necessary evil. I don't put it this way. I don't hate it as much as other people hate it. Um, but it's something that it's something that you have to do. And so and so I did it. So let's talk about um, what's going on in Providence. Some of the decisions you've made. You've you faced serious objections when you appointed the city recreation director Michael Stevens, who was a civilian as a new police major. What were you trying to accomplish by doing that? Yeah. So when we started the process, we you know we didn't think about you know, a civilian filling that position. But as we went through the interview process, it became clear to me, to the commissioner and to the chief that for what we were trying to achieve, he was the right person. And, uh, you know, what we were trying to achieve is that police community relationship, you know, supporting that and raising it to the top levels of leadership in the department. Once sort of the initial shock of, whoa, was civilian and are they going to have a gun and a badge? Do you salute them? All, All of those questions that came up. Once that initial shock goes away and you think, huh, a civilian within the ranks of the police department, maybe we need more of that. You know, this is the first time that we've done it, but, you know, maybe we need some some outside slash inside perspectives to, you know, to help bridge those those gaps that still exist between the community and the, and the police. And maybe it's that different kind of thinking and approach to the work that um, that we need to invest in. What do you think of the city council moving to eliminate the funding for that position the other day? So we're, we're working with them right now, and uh, I have every confidence. Well, let me, <laughs> I, um, I am very confident that uh, this is going to work out to everyone's, to everyone's satisfaction. I think the big issue was it being a civilian position versus a, a law enforcement sort of rank, uh, rank position. And I'm perfectly fine with that, so long as the responsibilities of the position are still there so that the work can be done. ATVs have become sort of symbolic of crime and uh, other issues in, in, the, in the city. What, what's, uh, what, what's your approach on that? Yeah, so I, these things are the bane of my existence. I, I hate these things, um, as do, I think, uh, everyone throughout the city. So what we have done in unequivocal terms is we have committed as much as we can in terms of resources to addressing uh, these, uh, these illegal ATVs. Uh, the challenge that we have, and I know that what frustrates people, is uh, you can't get these ATVs off the streets with just one police officer. So oftentimes in the neighborhood you see either one or several ATVs, and they pass by a police officer. People see the police officer not doing anything, and they say, the city's not doing anything. They're letting them run rampant. That's not true. That's not the case. One officer cannot you know, stop, apprehend, and arrest. They're just too shifty. They can go on and off track. They create dangerous conditions. 
So what we've done is we've created a specific detail or a specific, you might call it a task force, and uh, they're, they're specifically trained and they're coordinating, and they're out there getting the ATVs off the streets. I was uh, checking in with the chief earlier today, and he told me that um, there are some positive signs. The calls for service for these illegal ATVs has declined dramatically. Uh, with that said, it's one of these things that you got to stay on top of, and we will stay on top of. You know, it's not just us here in Providence. Uh, the uh, Boston Police Department recently had, you know, a, a sting or the, their own task force. They took about 20 of these bikes off the road, and they told us that half of the bikes that they took, the, the people were from, were from Providence. So I guess that's, in some ways, in some perverted way, that's an encouraging sign that they're leaving Providence. They're going somewhere else. That's the solution. Send them to <laughs> Boston. You've had some bold visions for the city, but now you're a bit of a lame duck for the next year. How, <laughs> Thank how you, do, Ed. <laughs> how, do, how do you intend to deliver on your promises? In the you know, next in, year? in a lot of ways, um, in, in a lot of ways, there's actually like an advantage to not running again. So I'll give you an example. You know, one big and challenging issue is uh, the issue of um, of pension reform. You know, we you know that's the albatross that continues to hang over the city's head, and. Um, um, you know, we put a proposal in for a pension obligation bond. Now, leave the merits of a pension obligation bond aside for a second, but there is no way, if I'm running for governor, that the other candidates for governor are going to let me have a quote-unquote big win. So hopefully, with some of those politics, um, you know, out of the way, we could just handle with, like, the other 99% politics that, uh, that, um, that stand in the way of things like this. Uh, but um, so I think in some ways, not not being on the ballot next time around might actually make it easier uh, for me to do that, to do the work of the city. And that's just one example. So is that the biggest the big thing that you want to accomplish before you leave office, the, the pension reform? Because it's what like a, it's a huge figure, the pension obligation, yeah. un unfunded pension obligation. Yeah. So I definitely want to do something on that before I leave office. And it's either something that we address when we have this window of opportunity. Or if we miss this opportunity because interest rates rise, the, the next mayor is going to be in a really tough position. Why so many speed bumps in the city asking for a friend? Oh, man, everybody wants speed bumps. So they it's, want them. Everybody wants them. Uh, you know, when you go out knocking on doors, you know, most of, the, most of the concerns that you hear are quality of life issues. Speeding in the neighborhoods is probably the top one when I was, when I was campaigning the second time around. And so the demand for it is just off the charts, far beyond what we can what we can um, what we can fill. Um, but like we were talking earlier, um, you know, doing this work is hard, right? We have contractors that do it. We've gotten complaints that some speed bumps are too high. We've gotten complaints that some speed bumps are too low. Uh, we've gotten complaints that they're in people's parking spots on on, on the street, no less. Uh, so it <laughs> doesn't matter what you do. Every time you upset the status quo, do something new, there's going to be friction. But to answer your direct question, Ed, the reason why there are more speed bumps is because the demand is through the roof, and we're going to continue to put speed bumps out there. All right, Mayor Larza, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. I appreciate it. Thank you, Ed. Here are a few other stories you should check out this week from Globebird Island. With a new market basket, Citizens Bank campus, and an Amazon project on the way, Johnston is suddenly booming. Columnist Dan McGowan says a lot of the credit goes to the mayor, Joe Policino. A jewelry district building that was once home to Club Karma 
is set to become a mixed-use facility with 19 apartments and retail space. My colleague Alexa Gagas has that story. Alexa also reports on a new procedure at Rhode Island Hospital that treats tremors, including the ones caused by Parkinson's disease. Find these stories and more at globe.com slash Rhode Island. That's globe.com slash Rhode Island. Rhode Island Report is a production of the Boston Globe. Today's episode was produced by Megan Hall, Carlos Munoz, and Scott Hellman. Audio mixing and mastering by Marissa Ewing of Hemlock Creek Productions. Our music is from APM. Got a tip? Have someone you think we should talk to? We'd love to hear your ideas. Send us an email at rinews at globe.com. And if you like the show, do us a favor. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. I'm Ed Fitzpatrick. See you next week.